human, don't you know, just like you are. I'm Rachel Woods, HRBP turned HR coach, and in this series, I explore the technicolor spectrum, that's life in HR, with folk in the know. Those that have been there, bought the t-shirt, and are happy to share their experiences for us all to benefit. So grab a cuppa, get comfortable, and we'll crack on. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Templin. You may not have heard of Joe. Joe is a reformed physicist, financial planner, startup founder, and autodidactic polymath, best described as a human Swiss army knife. And we'll get onto what those things are in a minute. Joe has invested the past two and a half decades to help others reach their financial potential as planner, trainer, mentor, and creator. And I suspect by now you're wondering, what's that got to do with HR? Well, hang in there. Joe and I got chatting about Lean and Six Sigma and Kaizen. And I know, I know, get to the HR bit. Well, that's exactly what we're going to discuss today after a big fat we're human welcome to you. Joe, hello. Rachel, good afternoon over there in the UK. Fantastic. Lovely, lovely to hear from you. I think you are my first international guest on We're Human. Um, yeah, everyone else has been in the UK and possibly Ireland. So, um, so very... I get to be the international man of mystery. You are the international man of mystery. And before we get going, do do explain um autodidactic polymath to us <laughs> so i don't use the term renaissance man because i can't okay. even draw a straight line with a ruler okay I not get the artistic ability from my parents <laughs> so that went to my brothers and sisters but my mom the nun yes my mom was a nun before she became a college educator and had wow. six kids um was always encouraged us to have a love of learning. As she always said, she quoted the Mark Twain quote, never let school interfere with your education. So this is the woman who bought us bug jugs and gave me a magnifying glass and oh, didn't brilliant. get that upset when I burnt stuff up with it, which led to my career as an optical physicist and taught us to shoot and uh, to hotwire cars and to distill alcohol and <laughs> all these sort of crazy different things. And if Google had existed when I was a kid, I'd be in a lot of trouble because I'd be down <laughs> rabbit holes all the time. When I was eight years old, I told my mom I wanted to learn everything there was to learn. She pointed to the encyclopedia and she's like, right over there, get to work. So I actually literally did read all of them. So I've got a, I'm a human Swiss army knife in that I've got all these different tools, all these different experiences that I can bring to the table. So my background, I actually started uh, studying communication early on at Hopkins. Then I went and I was an applied physicist. I did research for the government. I went into finance, uh, built my financial plan career, which led to understanding <coughs> performance and sales psychology. Along the way, I was doing martial arts, ended up becoming an international championship, getting my master rank, which led to a lot of stuff around performance, uh, psychology, and pushing human limits, started running, started ultra running, actually, which led to an entirely different area. So I've done and studied lots of different things. And it's not because there was somebody saying, you need to learn this. Mm. Yes, you know that's why I ended up uh, studying investments and various components of it for work. Yeah, that's why I took various courses. But it opened doors and it's like, oh, this is cool. And this relates to this in some mm. capacity. So an example that I always use <clears throat> is things that I learned as a cellist from Harry Doblin on phrasing and music. You know, instead of like dot, 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 it's like da 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 
up. No, I can't sing, so I'm not going to. But that <laughs> You're the first one to do that as well. <laughs> that translates into martial arts because it's not like a metronome of yeah. doing the techniques. There's a natural ebb and flow of it. And then you then take those concepts and you can apply it to communication theory. You can apply it to um, development of an organization actually has a lot of those same ebb and flows, which goes back to music, which actually is very similar to what I had growing up on the farm with the cycle of the days and seasons. And so being able to draw concepts from one area to another area allows us to be able to communicate on a different level and inspire on a different level, but also allows us to understand and be understood. Yeah, that's really great. And it almost sounds like a really healthy version of shiny thing syndrome where you get distracted by something. Oh, I'm going to follow that one down there. But then finding the learnings and the similarities, all the, the parallels that cross over between seemingly non-related. So my, my other computer in the other room literally <laughs> has 20 different tabs open right now. But I turned <laughs> off the surface music. Uh, but if one of the things is having metacognitive awareness of understanding that I am like this. And so how do I utilize it to the best benefit? Yeah. But the, the shiny thing syndrome, you're correct. One of the things that my father taught me years and years ago is in any situation, look for the pearl, look for the pearl of wisdom, or I call them the pearl of excellence. So it doesn't matter if it's a class that you take or a podcast that you listen to like here. So hopefully I can give a pearl to your listeners today or an interaction or a training session. If you can extract one thing from that, that adds value to you, that yeah. you can utilize, you can then string them together and ultimately have a very rich life. Yeah, I like that. I do like that. So what I ask all my guests, and I've asked everyone so far, is what brought them to HR. And obviously your your experience is, is vast in, in all sorts of different areas. But you did have a, a an involvement with HR um, for a while, didn't you? Well, you've been, you've yep. been in kind of an HR. So Tell me about how that kind I of happened. I was building my financial services career I was not only building my own personal business, but I was building the agency. So I was recruiting, developing, training, and supervising new financial advisors, whether they were college advisors or full-time people. And so one of the things that I always loved about that was training and developing them. And it was maybe an outgrowth of my mom being a teacher or the way that I approach martial arts is having a very hands-on, interactive developmental approach to it. So I, and this helps now that I'm a parent, you know, trying to make sure that they're getting the lessons as opposed to just following with rote memorization or doing it because I'm the father and I said so. You know, mm -hmm. in an organization, especially a volunteer organization, like I do a lot of work with, that doesn't work. So you need to get them to buy into the mission to understand what you're trying to accomplish. As one of my friends who's a uh, retired Navy captain talked about uh, a discussion last week, it's having the commander's attention. What is the goal of the organization? What are we trying to do? And so when you can have that and then blend it with a deep interest in that individual, that's where you can have the balance so that they can understand how they're contributing to their organization how the organization can help them grow and develop as an individual and a long-range professional, and having that focus on developing the human resource, that individual person, and making them the best that they can possibly be 
and how they can align with the organizational mission is how you get maximum production of whatever capacity you're trying to manage out of that individual and that unit. But that's also sustainable. It is uh, growable. It is something that you can recruit to from a culture point of view. And the culture, if you've got a culture of growth and you're bringing in people with growth mindsets and focusing on them as individuals, you can then have it be self-policing and reinforcing and growing. And people will surprise you with how awesome they can actually be. Yeah, I know. I like that. It's, it's, so it's that's very... my approach to HR. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm probably an HR nightmare in a lot of ways because uh, I say what I mean. So I'm not going to have a lot of what Wang calls the false self around it. I'm not going to shoot mm-hmm. a group of things. You know, I have tough luck. And so one of the issues that I've had in the past is when I care about somebody's future more than they do, that doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, and I can see that. That's 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 a got to be a frustration in some ways, and for a lot of HR professionals, actually, you would see that as well. Is you you've absolute belief in somebody's potential and capability, and yet they either don't see it or they do see it, but actually, that and I guess that their ambitions is mismatched to what you want them to be through. And again, it's their ambitions, right? So right, and then there's a lot of Michelangelo phenomena here where we mm-hmm. see inside them their potential, but it also comes down to difference in conscientiousness level yeah so you know if you look at big five personality traits you know people you know i've got an insane work ethic from growing up on the farm as some of my former business partners have said i'm not you joe i'm not i don't want to work that hard you know, i don't want to get up that together. early <laughs> yeah i'm not getting up that early I'm not i don't want to run out for marathons <laughs> exactly and that's something that's taken me a long time to you know deal with because as you know, my kids tell me they're not me either, and I need to remember that. Yeah. But if so, you need to be able to see what they could become, but within the constraints, whether it is externally imposed or their own internal imposed constraints of you know what, I'm not working after five p.m. or I'm you know I'm not willing to make this sacrifice or I only want this, and then be able to operate within that, but get them to understand too, because if they then want to expand their capabilities, their horizons, their work ethic, what have you, which takes time. I mean, you don't start running an ultra marathon day one, you start with a 5K to build up over years. Same thing with the work environment. So if they can build that up, then they can unlock that potential that we're seeing in them. But it's a them issue. It's not an us issue. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So as we got talking earlier, and I think People go, yeah, but come on, you, you, you mentioned Lean and Six Sigma and Kaizen and all this stuff. And so how does a concept that's so often applied to manufacturing, industrial activity, what does that have to do with the work of HR? Actually, it's got everything to do with the work of HR. And unfortunately, people don't see this because of the siloing that we have. Mm. Finance is over here and manufacturing is over here and HR is over here. And you know what? But life, <laughs> especially in a startup world, is you know cross-functional in a lot of ways and we need to be cross-functional in everything that we do because guess what you're not just going to do english or just do mathematics it is bleeding into these other areas and involves people so the concept of kaizen is really a mindset that then they put processes around to help formalize and improve which is very Kaizen sort of approach, actually. They applied Kaizen to Kaizen. 
Um, and it is all about continuous improvement. And it's not about the huge radical shift because when the Japanese uh, manufacturing capability was completely destroyed after World War II, you know, they had old machines that were getting, you know, secondhand, thirdhand, fifthhand stuff. You know, so they had to do the best with what they had, which this is one concept of it. Do the best with what you have. So if you're having a bad day uh, emotionally or uh, some people have like some biochemical imbalances and everything. So do the best that you can that particular day. So if it's just getting up and taking a shower, good. If it's eating a Pop-Tart as opposed to eating, you know, fruits and vegetables and well-balanced, guess what? That's better than eating nothing, mm. right? If it's reading for five minutes while you're in the bathroom, you know, and the kids are, you know, beating on the door, that's better <laughs> than not reading at all. And, you know, yes, this is speaking a little bit to the new parents out there, but entrepreneurs deal with this. We, we all have these same sort of situations where you do the best that you can with what you have, and then you try and get a little bit better. So when the uh, big uh, champion really for Kaizen was Toyota when they first came to the United States as a car manufacturer, and when they entered the U.S. market, they sucked. Their cars were horrible. They broke down constantly. You know, they were not worth it. But they had applied Kaizen, where every single person on the line, every single person in the entire organization up to the individual in the corner office or the janitor could stop things and make a micro improvement right, right? so, so all lots of micro improvements lead to big gains right right but yeah. what happened is it adds up it's a little bit here it's a little bit here and that's why the cover of my book has that cool <laughs> growth curve because it doesn't matter if it's you practicing an instrument for a half hour a day when you start you're going to suck you're going to sound like you're strangling a cat yeah but after a year you're going to be, you know, acceptable. And after a second year of practicing every single day for a half hour doing that basic stuff, you're going to actually be able to uh, perform in like a small thing. And then you keep it up and you keep it up and eventually you're pretty good. Same thing with learning a skill, martial arts, um, baking, um, doing mathematics. Nobody starts doing advanced calculus. We start with one plus one equals two and we build up from it. Same thing with ultra marathon, same things with martial arts, everything. So within people's careers, you know, people get promoted into position. Guess what? They're not ready for it. They're never ready. That's part no, of it. But yeah. they have the mindset, hopefully. They've got the capability. And so how do we go from not being ready to being ready? Well, are you going to flip a switch and or you know, they're going to plug it into your head like the matrix and download it and you're like, I go from the boot? No, it's if going only. to work. <laughs> And every day trying to get better. And so this is where HR needs to step on in and say, <clears throat> okay, we know you're not ready yet for this. This is how we get you ready. Okay, right. here's your plan for improvement for yourself. And instead of meeting with them once a year to evaluate, oh, you did horrible here and horrible here and great on this. Yay, wonderful. It needs to be very short cycle feedback loops, like weekly, daily even. I've got people that I'm coaching where, they have to do one thing every single day to build their business. And uh, for someone, that one thing could take 10 minutes, but they've got a lot of anxiety around doing it. For other people, it'll take a half hour, other people, because it's all personalized to them. But what they do is they text me when they accomplish it. Yeah. I and like after that. three or four days, they're like, wow, this is cool. And you know, I'll give them you know, 
some cool little meme or a little GIF where, you know, I'm celebrating or whatever, but they get that feedback loop of, I'm doing the right thing. A sense right of achievement, thing. Just like where little it? kids are walking. Yeah. Like, good job, buddy. Good job. <laughs> and okay. if you fall over, we say, dear, dear, pat you on the bottom and send you off again. Right. Like, obviously not and in the if office, doing something do wrong, we give them a quick yeah. little swat on the bottom. Yeah. Don't do that. And they not stop. in the office, but yes. <laughs> okay. So we're not allowed to swat them in HR. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's frowned upon, I believe. Frowned upon. That, that's one of the advantages swats. of martial arts yeah. is, you know, <laughs> if you do something wrong, it's painful and you, get, you learn really quickly. Mm. Yeah, but right. having those shorter micro feedback loops mm. combined with the expectation of this is what we want to do and having the vision of this is where we're going, that is the critical components for success overall for the individual. And if you've got proper communication among the individuals, that's how you build an organization. Yeah. Do you know, actually, you just reminded me of something. Um, I was on LinkedIn this morning and a, a connection of mine shared something on nudge theory. And I'm just mm-hmm. seeing how to overlay that with this. We're talking about the continuous improvement, little things each day to improve. It's not great big things, it's little achievable things. But at the same time, we're talking about behavioral change, aren't you? You're talking about making new habits, creating habits that will get you further. And those, there's continuous improvement in that as well. You're overlaying it, not just procedurally, but but psychologically. And this nudge piece around how do you make those habits easier, sort of putting the fruit to eye level so that it's easier to grab, you know, putting oh. one bin in the office far away so everybody has to get up and move to use the bin. And it's not... It has to be transparent. It has to be easy and optional. But at the same time, it has to be something that encourages folk to do the desired behavior, like get up, get up and move around. Right. And as James Clear talks about, it's the <clears throat> smallest possible change yeah. that is sustainable. And let's talk about this. So let's say that you take the stairs instead of taking the lift, as you say, over there, mm. or the elevator over here. Um, and you do that and you park your car 20, 30 feet further away. Yeah, or you get off the bus one stop early. Yeah, yeah. and you decide that every hour or so I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk around the office once, okay? That is incredibly little. And, you know, you cut back on the sugar in your tea. Instead of taking three lumps, you take two. But you're still getting your sugar fix. I drink my coffee black, so it's a little bit different. But these tiny little things, well, that can add up to 100 calories a day. Yeah. Right? That doesn't seem like very much. 100 calories a day over a year is 10 pounds. Yeah, and like you say, it doesn't feel like you're making massive sacrifices, but you're making... Because you're not, because massive sacrifices require effort. People are lazy, remember this. And they're painful, they're difficult, they're hard. We don't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah, but we're lazy because we've evolved this way. Calories used to be incredibly expensive. We had to go out and, you know, like slay mammoths. You know, know, pick little grains of uh, wheat. Oh, and, on your feet you know, all day just to earn a meal, right? So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so we developed all of these mechanisms to use as little energy as possible in a lot of ways. And the brain is an energy hog. The brain makes up about 5% of the body mass, but uses 20% of the energy. Mm. So that's why we have rules of thumb or heuristics. We have shortcuts. We're like this to this because that is the quickest, easiest thing. And Kahneman talks about this in Thinking Fast and Slow. So what we need to do is we need to actually stop, spend a couple of minutes, look at the situation and analyze it. So yes, this takes energy, but then develop a better procedure or a quicker way of doing things, you know, more efficient. You know, that's why we have checklists and things like this, because yeah, it takes more time to to sit there and look at the process and put together the checklist, but then you can onboard somebody like this 
and have them up to speed. And so it shortens your recycle time to get somebody successful. And it allows you to be able to have somebody with a lower skill set. Uh, if you look at what Michael Gerber talks about, to be able to execute on that. And that then frees up other resources. So yeah, it's a little bit of investment up front, but it's a huge savings long range. And what this does is then that individual coming on in can be productive more quickly. They feel better. They you know are accomplishing stuff, which then gives them that positive feedback loop. And because they've got this way that is very efficient of taking care of this component, maybe that say is 15 minutes a week. That 15 minutes a week, is that being spent on developing them? Is that being spent or really invested properly back into the individual? And if it is, then this is how you get those continuous improvements and uh, be able to ultimately be doing some pretty awesome stuff. And this is the same approach that I've taken in terms of my own businesses. Over time, the uh, processes have gotten a little bit more efficient. So I've realized doing this thing here doesn't add any value. So I'm cutting it out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this person is not helping. So, you know, we either coach them up or coach them out or remove them from your life if they're a psychic vampire. And by doing these little things, you get to the point where you're this much more effective, not necessarily efficient, but effective. Effective is getting the right stuff done. Yeah, and also so efficiency is being effective is sitting there having a cup of tea with somebody <clears throat> instead of just sending them an email because yeah. that cup of tea is worth hundreds of extra hours. An example that I use is in my old office during the summer, the ice cream truck would come around Thursday afternoons, roughly one o'clock. And do they play music. Oh, of course, Mr. They are like, okay, I'm just checking that they cross no, the international boundaries. They do play a really it's, annoying it's a too, right? Oh. Okay. So they would come around 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 one o'clock on Thursdays, and my staff knew that if we had accomplished everything that we were supposed to, that the office would then be closed for the next half hour. We're all going down and have a nice. (laughs) Okay, that half hour and you know twenty thirty bucks for ice cream, that investment led to such productivity growth, such attention to improving the processes and making things better. And then when we're sitting there and we're having ice cream and we're laughing at each other and telling jokes and having fun with each other and bonding, it allowed us to, during difficult times, have those social reserves that we could draw from. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? That's such a such an effective, like I say, a micro action that adds to team building. And so much better than taking teams out and get, making them sort of have forced fun as you know quite often these team building things are but i'm just thinking about how i think also i am reminded of pavlov's dogs with the ice cream truck but um ultimately and i also want ice cream now but um i'm just thinking i'm working at the moment you're not canadian i I, I like ice cream um canadians eat more ice cream than anybody yeah cold country doesn't stop you um so um, no the winter they eat it to warm up yeah why not why not um ice cream's good all year round um I just thinking actually, I'm working with a lot of learners at the moment. I think there's an awful lot of people that I'm talking to right now who are coming back to a more academic learning process, and it's it's new for them. They haven't they've got a full time job, and they're they're taking on this. Is UK's got a thing called modern apprenticeships, um, and they can be at any level. So I've got heads of departments and GMs and and you know senior level leaders going through this um, pseudo sort of MBA style program effectively. Um, but of course, they probably if they did a degree, it was donkey's years ago it was a very long time ago 
And they're moving into this, you know, habit of learning and map. Thankfully, because it's vocational, it should map into their job. And an awful lot of what they're doing is being applied with what they have to do anyway. And they, so mm-hmm. therefore, it is these improvements they can do over time. But I'm just thinking about what you're saying about the, these little micro steps in order to get them into the habit of doing the learning, writing the summary, gathering the ev- noticing the potential evidence as well as gathering it and getting in the habit of squirreling that away to bring it up at a later date once we get to those particular modules. And I'm thinking about you know, well, how I can encourage them and, and enable them. I'm going to tell them to listen to this for a start, but um, to get into those micro habits to help, again, make it easy. Where can, how, can, how can make you make it this fun? Make That's it one fun. Of the other things. So reward yourself. Scouts, we're trying yeah. to make everything fun for them. Mm. So whenever there's a, a teaching moment, a learning lesson, I take it and I try and apply it. Same thing that I do uh, with my kids. So like my one autistic son had an issue the other day. And so what did we do? We talked about it. We broke it down. I invested the time right then instead of saying, oh, I'll leave this for the performance review next Friday. <laughs> exactly. No, take the time right then when the emotions are still high. And with him, it was breaking down the emotions and making sure they understood. He's not angry at you. Mm-hmm. He's angry at the bad information that you have. Okay. And so, you know, tone and things like that. But it, by spending the couple of minutes then, it allowed the thing to not cascade poorly. So managers need to stop and catch people not just doing stuff wrong, but also doing stuff right, by the way. So when I caught my 15 year old doing something well and, you know, he, cause he was doing the dishes and he didn't even have to, I'm like, buddy, thank you. Good job. I noticed that you're doing this and then you didn't have to. That means a lot. And his brother who was in the other room who was supposed to be doing the dishes heard it. <laughs> so I don't know if it had impact <laughs> on the one who was supposed to be doing the dishes, but the one who was actually doing the dishes uh-huh. understands that hey, I'm not just here to be the bad guy. You know, when you're doing something right, I'm going to hold it on up. And so having those micro celebrations, uh, those micro learning incidents, those micro, you know, moments, again, breaking it down to little pearls or, you know, grains of gold, essentially. Finding them and pointing them out is a way to culturally move an individual and organizations forward towards those goals too yeah and that's great and i think thinking about your example with your son and helping him spend time in that discomfort sitting with the discomfort and understanding it and understanding what he's upset at as opposed to who or where it's coming from and 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 that that self-awareness or that ability to pause and not try and escape the 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 feeling Um, but because we all get that have a dialogue with you know, it. people yeah. want to fight or flee or you know they yeah. want to run away from it instead of stopping pausing and looking at it and saying what's going on here and why and if you can start having that emotional and intellectual disconnect of okay why did this happen and all that that's where you get these uh, positive feedback loops that's where you get the learning and it also makes us be able to have better control of ourselves because yeah. we're going to have that emotional reaction if somebody does something stupid or insults us or you know disappoints us. But if we cannot be overwhelmed by it, yeah, it allows us to make better decisions. And as you move up into positions where there's more dependent on your actions, I mean, we've all seen the boss or the CEO who uh, the smallest thing flies off the handle, and that's really bad for the organization. Yeah. So 
Um, what should have happened along the way is when they were a brand new individual, somebody should have been giving them the feedback. So instead of them developing this really obnoxious and larger than life habit, if it was addressed early on, it would be a micro change. Hey, you know, you did this. This is not great. Oh, and giving them that attention when it's small before it becomes a huge flaw. And because I've seen uh, people who are senior level officers in military and in organizations who have these issues because nobody addressed it along the path and oh. ultimately it ends up blowing up either their career or the organization. Yeah, it's that hair trigger temper, isn't it? Or reaction. And like you say, it's not understood, it's reacting versus responding. And that's the big no. difference. It's the buying yourself time to form a response rather than having that emotional reaction, which is rarely healthy or helpful, unless you're incredibly disciplined and um, <laughs> well-versed in responding quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just, just thinking about that and... What that does for folks, going back to the HR world, um, in helping others, and quite often HR um, can, certainly when they're at board level, can be seen as sort of the, um, I suppose, the conscience of the organisation. Sometimes they are the, the kind mm -hmm. of angel on the shoulder of, of a possibly slightly hair-triggered CEO or, or GM or something. And it's, what would you say to them in terms of helping influence this sort of thinking at that level, if, if you were kind of a, a so there's if you were a little little two things area. on that. One, um, <laughs> they shouldn't have to be the conscience of the organization because ethics Agreed. should be the <laughs> As an ethics instructor, the fact that we you know it's not is a function of the organization and yeah. society. And so we need to pay much more attention to the ethical components of them senior level individuals like in politics or in organizations and being absolutely horrible human beings. Mm. They, or they might be, they put the almighty dollar ahead of everything else and short-term as opposed to sustainable. Yeah. Okay? Because if you make your numbers this quarter, but you're burning everybody out, guess what? You're not going to be doing the best for your shareholders long range. So mm. sustainable growth is critical. The other thing is, the human resource is by far the most important resource in any organization. It's not the materials. It's not the manufacturing plant. It's not the capital. It's not the money. It's not the patents. It is the people. Because people patents. People come up with the innovations. People do the sales. People do everything. Yeah. And so if they realize that they invested in the people more and made it so that they had the right people in the organization, in the right roles, because I've seen people who have been miscast in roles mm. uh, within organizations. Best example is like in sales organizations. You're a great salesperson. Guess what? We're going to make you, you know, head of sales. Mm. And it's different mindset, different skill sets. Okay. Mm. I know plenty of people who would rather just, you know, keep being the salesperson because they can make a ton of money and they don't want the responsibility of dealing with others. And there's others who love growing and developing and managing and all that. Who, yeah are decent salesmen, but not necessarily blowing the doors mm. off. So yeah. it's a and yet they will grow decent salesmen. that yeah. properly. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and so you if see you it. want to take, you know, your number one and, you know, cut the uh, production of the organization, an example that I use is um, Ted Williams, even though his Red Sox player is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. He was a lousy manager because he didn't realize 
other people are not. Ted Williams, they don't have the natural skill, the mindset, things like that. That's one of the reasons why we see some of the greatest managers and coaches in baseball history are individuals who barely made it to the major leagues or maybe didn't even because they understand the struggle. They understand getting the most out. They understand team over individual. And those are the same sort of things that we need to be bringing into HR and into the uh, corner office ultimately is understanding that we need to develop these people. Because if you are going to have an individual who's brilliant, guess what? If you can make them happy and feel comfortable, whether it's, you know, some of the weird little things because they might be non-normal or, you know, they like, you know, I don't, you know, need the big, you know, promotion or things like that. I like this, you know, being able to treat people fairly, but not necessarily equally. Yeah. Allows for the organization to develop better. So as my kids say, um, I tell all them that, you know, I love, I hate them all equally. <laughs> I, and, but my youngest is like, yes, but you love us all individually in our own way. I'm like, you know what? You're actually really smart, kiddo. Uh, I once said to one of our managers, I, it, it just, I came into that. I can't remember why we got into the conversation. He said, oh, I just feel like, you know, we're, we're, we're all a pain in your necks. And I think because he'd been in and out of the office a lot. And actually, I actually was quite, quite fond of him. I thought I was quite happy to see him every now and again. We'd like to help him. Yep. But I sort of quit to just, well, no, 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 we treat everybody with exactly the same level of contempt. So my kids all know I'm the worst <laughs> scout leader ever and the worst father ever. And, you know, and that's the way that it is. But I will do what it takes to help them develop into the industry. Exactly. Exactly. Entirely. So these principles, and certainly we'll get onto your book, actually. I think where, where have you seen someone take these principles really well? Well, you've got a case study or a story you can tell in a few minutes yet um and where you've seen this applied in a really effective way and what difference it made what, what difference did it make so one area that i'm seeing this in is a financial services organization that i'm coaching where we've got people with different constraints so we've got like one lady her husband's a deployed soldier so she's basically home alone with two kids versus one of the other guys in the organization who is, you know, he's married, no kids, uh, wife comes from significant uh, financial resources. So these are two very different people. Their time constraints are very different. Their goals and objectives are very different. So how I coach and manage them, it has to be very different because the one needs a little bit more flexibility and understanding and, you know, fitting in, doing the best that you can with these constraints. The other one's like, dude, you have no excuse to not go out and blow the doors off. Mm. Okay. So you're doing X and you're happy with X because you're paying your bills and everything. Why don't you want to be up here at Y where you used to say, oh, because it's hard. Oh, all right. Well, you know, let's look at what you're doing. And it turns out that he's, you know, doing all this stuff to feel good as opposed to sucking up and doing the hard things because, you know, maybe because he's never had kids. So he doesn't understand cleaning up puke at two o'clock in the morning or, you know, you know, all the things that once you're a parent, you understand, okay, it's not about me. It's about the organization, the team taking care of the kids. I have to do this. 
versus this individual who's still uh, about me. And it's what makes me feel good in the moment as opposed to what's best for me long. The former athlete, you know, you can coach the athlete with tough love because champions want to be coached hard versus the person who grew up um, never having that, never being pushed. You can't push them as hard as the one who are like, dude, suck it up. You know, you need to do X, (laughs) Y, and Z and you know it. This one might need to be brought up to that level. Again, it's that Kai, that nonlinear curve on the book, mm. taking more time to get them to that level. And, you know, they've never had a strong figure. They've never had a coach. They've never been pushed in certain ways. They never had to have the discipline of an athlete or a musician. So they are now aware of it. So they don't have the capacity for it yet, but we can draw that out and we can improve them over time. Yeah, that's small steps, isn't it? And like you say, being conscientious of individuals' contacts yeah. and experiences today, and like you say, that their readiness for that level of activity right. or discomfort or right. Some people in terms com- of the tasks ahead. with discomfort. Some people are terrified because yeah. they haven't experienced it. Like, oh, it's going to hurt. Yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a little bit, and you'll get used to it, and then you know you build that up, just like running like, long again, distances or whatever. That's but, going back to you saying about practice, isn't it? You, is, the universal truth of anything new is, yes, you're going to suck. You're going to need to get used to that. It's going mm-hmm. to be hard. You're not going to be good at it. You're going to make mistakes. But you know what? It's in those mistakes. And now you call them pearls. Like for me, they're gold nuggets. Um, that's where the gold nuggets of learning lives. And you know, no learning happens when we're comfortable. We might require right. some knowledge here and there, but the mistakes. real learning. Yeah. yeah, you need to make a certain number of mistakes to learn and succeed. So, you know, you need to pick up the phone a thousand times and be told no, you know, 700 times to get to the point where you're good. So you can either do that in a one month period or you can spread it out over a year. Spread it out over a year, you're not going to hit your quotas. You're going to be gone. If you do it in a month, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to suck, but you get through it and you get better real quick. You toughen up. So the big thing, though, is we need to remember, and I'm uh, working with a manager that I'm coaching on this, we can't care about them more than they care about. We can't care about their career. We can't care about their health. We can't care about their growth more than that person cares. Yeah. Now, if they care, then I'll care about them more than anybody who's never shared the same last name. I will do everything possible <laughs> to help them succeed. Yeah. But as the great coach Pat Summit said years ago, I will help you, but I will not start your engine. Yes. Yes. I like that. And there's a... um. I remember seeing something, it was a chap called Peter Sellers, not the chap that was the Pink Panther, but uh, uh, I think it was an a acting coach or something along those lines. He was an artist of some kind. And he was he was talking very much along these lines. And I think whether he coined the phrase or whether it's the first time I'd heard it, in coaching, certainly in very pure coaching, it's, it's the question of you meet them where they are. You don't drag them to where you are. Because they're not ready to go there yet. So you go to them, you meet them where they are, and you help them take those steps to get to where they need to be. And that's, I think, it's a really lovely thing to think of with anyone that's moving into coaching, mentoring, any of the supporting professions. HR, definitely, yeah. But HR is so guilty of dragging people to where they think they are, as opposed to going back and going, actually, where are these people right now? Particularly when it comes to difficult messaging, uh, restructures, the really... Kind of big stuff going on. I guess this kind of really nicely leads me into my next question around: Should HR be having a Kaizen revolution, a different way of thinking, a um, 
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, HR, human resources, these are resources. Resources need to be stored. They need to be shepherded. It, you know, if you've got a farm, you can't just go and plant the seeds and then come back three months later and expect to, you know, have your harvest. You need to pull the weeds out. You need to water it. You need to make sure that they're getting the fertilizer. You uh, certain plants need Nutrients. to have support yeah. grow. So we need <clears throat> to be involved and help them, and we need to make sure that they have a vision of what they want to be, who they want to become, what they want to accomplish. And if they can be working towards those visions with HR being there to support and guide them, and those visions are supportive of the organizational visions, guess what? Those people working toward putting themselves into it and doing everything to grow and develop themselves in alignment with the organization, you're going to get organizational growth and productivity that is absolutely astounding. Yeah, I like that. And I'm pretty sure none of this is in really in the, the CIPD foundation modules. The CIPD is our, our chartered institute for personnel and development in the UK. Um, they're the only kind of governing body for HR professionals, basically. So those that have that after their titles have gone through some learning or an experiential um an experience assessment in order to get letters after the name that relates to this this government governing body. But given that a lot of this stuff, I mean some of it's covered. I think the principles of support and development is is there. Um, the relation to Kaizen and, and those those principles aren't generally taught in that way. And coaching actually isn't heavily kind of covered in it either. And I think to be fair, coaching in my sense, there's a conflict between a conflict of interest between being a coach and being a, an HR professional because you need to have a certain level of professional detachment. Um, but if you were to give advice to any future entrants to HR as a profession, what would that, what would the first piece be? I know there's probably quite a lot you could give, but what would the, the most critical piece well, be? Well, so somebody just entering HR, have a growth-oriented mindset. Mm -hmm. That is the most critical. Uh, Dr. Carol Dweck's analysis says that only about 40% of big people have a growth-oriented mindset. All kids have a growth-oriented mindset. Every kid learns to walk. And they fail a gazillion times. And they yeah. keep trying because they want to get better. They want to walk. They want to be able to go get the cookie. They want to be able to ride the bike. So we need to keep that mindset going as we're adults. So if you're entering into HR, you need to have a growth-oriented mindset so that you're going to continue to grow and you're going to radiate that to the people around you because having other people around you wanting to get better, wanting to improve is going to be directly contributing to the bottom line of the organization. It's cultural, it's in the DNA of having that mindset. So that's the first thing. Second thing is have a fascination with the people. Yeah. Okay. Care about them as individuals as you care about the organization, but want to know what's going on with them, those sort of things, because people work harder when they know the people around them care. Mm -hmm. If you're just a number, you know, employee number one, two, three, four. Who cares? But <laughs> if you're Rachel, you know, who does this and, you know, does that, then they feel. So people leave or uh, bad managers, people leave yeah, organizations where they don't care. There's an example <clears throat> from uh, video games, from like games on the phone and everything. Games that create a chat function in the community 
that get people socially involved, they become emotionally involved and they stay in those games for a lot longer period of time. They spend a lot more money and all this. So uh, they it literally becomes a part of who they are. So in the commercial organization, in the job, we need to look at doing this too. So work from home is great occasionally. It's a flexible option to be able to accommodate life. But we need to have those actual connections where we can sit down and have a cup of coffee or an adult beverage or, you know, be able to interact with people so that, you know, hey, you know, my coworkers, kids names are X, Y and Z. And this is what's going on with them and all that, because you're less likely to leave that organization if you've got these emotional ties. You are less likely to slack on your job if you know that you slacking impacts your friend. So those work friendships that get developed. And so HR needs to help foster that and improve that because people are now becoming ingrained in the organization, not just intellectually, uh, but emotionally. And by doing that, you're going to get better performance on every single metric. Love it. Love it. Thank you very much. Um, we could go down a lot of rabbit holes from here, I think, particularly on the remote working question, but um, we won't right now because we're running out of time. Um, here is the opportunity to really kind of get an idea of where we can connect with you and also where can we find your book? So you can find my book uh, in the UK on Amazon. So Kindle or hard copy or soft copy is the best way. You can also connect with me on my website, everyday-excellence.com. That's everyday-excellence.com. I actually recommend people go there because the book's great. If you buy the book, I get to buy beer. I like my beer, right? But the website has so much more. All the podcasts I'm on there, so people will be able to find this one. Every single day, I put up a micro blog, just quick hit of energy and insight that takes one minute to read. Um, there, there's going to be the TikToks going to be connected there. There's all these other resources, free resources for people to move along on their own journey of excellence. And so, my mission over the next twelve months, Rachel, is actually to help a hundred million people get better in some capacity. Wow. I like that. Okay. Yes. It, it, it's a big, hairy it's a big mission. I like big, a big, big, hairy mission. <laughs> yeah. It's a, my BHAG and it motivates me because it's so huge that I have to become more. I have to become better. I have to evolve my thinking and involve different individuals to be able to achieve this, to help these people. But if we, if I can reach and help a hundred million people and they can make slightly better decisions in their life and move slightly ahead, they're going to then influence other individuals too. And this can help offset some of the entropy and chaos that is natural in the world. And so this will turn around and have direct impact to a ton of people. And so that is my goal. So please go to the website everyday-excellence.com, sign on up for the newsletter, check things out, you know, use it to help yourself grow and develop and move along and become better. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Joe. This has been really, really great, actually. Um, we will make sure that you have all of your links in the show notes. So um, we'll make sure that's all there so that anyone that wants to uh, get in touch or find that website or find link, link get you on LinkedIn or anything along those lines 
can do so without having to write anything down right now because some people might be driving while they're listening to this or <laughs> cleaning the oven or doing the things that I do when I'm listening to podcasts like painting and stuff and I don't mean interesting arty painting I mean like the walls and the skirting and, and all that boring stuff so if you've enjoyed this do hit subscribe on whichever platform you have chosen to listen um of course you can find all new episodes as they come out on my website again the link will be in the show notes um thank you so much joe for coming along this has been an absolutely super chat there's so many gold nuggets in here um i'm going to struggle i think to come up with a title because there's so many possibilities so thank you thank you it's been an absolute joy talking to you great job thank you be excellent and grow today